DanielBritt.com. Today's lineup is sterling because the artists sitting with me now are not only good at what they do, but they're genuine, down-to-earth human beings, and they can relate to everyday living. That shows also in their music. Welcome, Joel and Labriska Hemphill. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks for coming, and, and you guys have a history. If there ever was a historic name in gospel music, I think Hemphill is one of the top. Well, thank you very much. Been here a long time. Maybe that counts for something. <laughs> well, what year did you start? <laughs> well, I was pastoring a church in Louisiana. started in 1961. In about 1966, I began to write uh, gospel music. Mm-hmm. Let's see. We bought our first bus in 68. Uh, I was still pastoring. Pastored on till 71, moved to Nashville in 72. We signed our first recording contract in 66 with right. Canaan wow. Records. Wow. That was a division of word. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, before then, in, in your growing up years, were you around gospel music a lot? Did you come from a family, a heritage of this music? My dad was a minister, and of course, uh, music was always a part of our worship. But as far as uh, gospel concerts, we seldom ever went. I, I remember one time, I think, going to a Blackwood Brothers concert. But Labriska, that was her life. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I, my family was the Happy Goodman family. My mother was the sister to the men of the Happy Goodman family. And the first time I ever sang on stage, I was nine years old, and we sang at the Ryman Auditorium wow. in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, where they have the Grand Ole Opry. And I was going to get to that at some point uh, to tell us about the relationship with the Goodman. So specifically, who? Uh, My mother uh, was Gussie May, and mm-hmm. that's uh, the oldest uh, sister of the Happy Goodman family. Howard was the oldest. Mother was the oldest sister. sister. Okay. And so it was uh, to you, Uncle Howard, Uncle Sam. Uncle Howard, Ho- right. Yeah. And okay. I grew up in that atmosphere, grew up backstage at... Uh, I think maybe uh, they just started the all-night singings when I was about eight or nine in Atlanta, sure. Georgia. I was at one of the first. I'm not sure I was at the first, but it was it was really uh, phenomenal because we had up until that time sang on Sunday afternoon on the Sunday hmm. singings, and then it was taken from there to the Saturday night gospel singings. All night singing, and yeah. really it lasted the first one I went to. Lasted to four o'clock in the morning. Quite accurate. <laughs> first time I met the Goodmans, Daniel, it was 1957, and it was Howard, Rusty, and uh, Vestal, and Labriska. Really? And I changed their quartet into a trio. <laughs> <laughs> they came to Louisiana to do a revival for my dad, tent revival. Labriska and I met and dated for a few weeks and married in June of 57. And so you first saw them, first saw Her Carista, with the with good the yes. Uh-huh. Uh, did anything spark an interest at that point? Well, kind of, just a little. <laughs> <laughs> Something happened that's been 49 I so. years. <laughs> I guess so. He started showing up at all of our revivals around in those areas. And, yeah. uh, so we began to look at one another and go out, and we double-dated with Rusty. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. not married. Mm-hmm. I loved all the Goodmans, but Labritska was my favorite. Favorite, favorite. Throughout your family's life and the Goodman's life, did you guys have get-togethers and uh, see each other quite often? Oh, yes, yes. The families were close. After we married, sure. Howard and Vestal went to Evansville, I'm, I'm sorry, Madisonville, Kentucky, and pastored a church. And we pastored when I was 21. I had a wife and three children wow. and was pastoring a church in Bastrop, Louisiana. Uh-huh. So they would come and preach for us, and we would go and preach for them. So it was we were very close. Sure. 
Tell me how, how your preaching and writing sermons also goes hand in hand with writing songs. Well, uh, we were only reaching uh, a small um, number of people, I guess you'd say, at that time. Our church was probably around 150 uh, people. Small paper mill town in Louisiana and 14,000 people. We had a radio program and so, uh, I preached on Sunday and Labrisca and I sang in church. But we began to pray and ask the Lord for a way to reach beyond this small paper mill town and what He gave was songwriting. So I see a lot of my songs as just many sermons. You know, you have about three minutes to, yeah, yeah. to, to present the problem and the, and the solution. And of course, <laughs> Jesus is the, He's the answer. So anyway, it's, uh, they're just many sermons. When did you start writing songs? I started in 1966. I was 27 years old, was not a songwriter and really hadn't aspired to be a songwriter. I always loved good gospel songs and admired, admired songwriters. But I, it was not anything that I'd really aspired to. But long in this time of um, of searching and seeking for a, a, a greater outreach than we had, I was at the church praying one day. And when I finished my devotion, I got up and went to the piano and wrote a song. And I went home, and Labriska was not impressed at all. At all. <laughs> I was going to ask. That's that. right. Not impressed. I mean, Uncle Rusty Goodman was a great songwriter, yeah. and of course, Dottie Rambo and Bill Gaither and a lot of great songwriters were out there, and she didn't think we needed another one. I couldn't understand why he did this. Yeah, yeah. It was almost like I was out of, you know, going in a, a, a side sure. direction. Sure. So a few days later, I wrote another song, and by the third song, then Labrisco was getting excited. It was a good song. Not in uh-huh. a million years was the oh, third one. Yeah. Okay. And by then, the Goodmans were uh, traveling and uh, singing and doing quite well. So when they came, they might drop by and sing at our church on Sunday or whatever. But anyway, we were with them in a concert in West Monroe, and I told Rusty, I said, Rusty, I wrote uh, some songs, and I'd like to send them to you. Well, he said, put them on tape. You know, it makes it easier to tell them that there's no, they're yeah. no good, you know, yeah. if, you, if yeah. they're on tape, you know. Sure, sure. So I sent these songs, and I didn't hear for a couple of weeks. And I thought, well, he didn't like them, and he just hates to tell me. Yeah. But th- that phone call came one day. I was mowing the yard, and Labriska came out, and she was excited. She said, Rusty's on the phone, and he likes your songs. So I went to the phone, and he said, Bubba, you didn't write these songs. We were very close. He yeah. called me Bubba. He said, you didn't write these songs. I said, yes, I did. So he said, we'd like to record two out of the three. And that was on their album called Bigger and Better. Mm-hmm. And I said, we'll pay your expenses to Nashville, you know, to the session to make sure we get them right. Yeah. Well, hey, that's big stuff for us, sure. you know, to get to go to Nashville and be at this recording session. And so that, that kind of helped get things started. I think the next year uh, he wrote Pity the Man, and that was the biggest song at that mm-hmm. time that we had. That was a really a good song, and it was running for the Dove Award yeah, yeah. when they only had the top five. Instead yeah. of top ten. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll go back for a minute. First, what were the first two songs that you wrote? I wrote a song called The Way Is Made, mm-hmm. and uh, we recorded it later, but it wasn't anything that outstanding. Then the second song was called The Point of No Return, which the Goodmans recorded. Bobby sang that. Mm-hmm. And then um, Not in a Million Years. Sure. And we were sitting there and just overwhelmed to hear. We were in RCA Studio B, where a lot of famous people had recorded. And, of course, the Goodmans were recording there. 
Marvin Norcross of uh, Canaan Records, vice president of Word, was there as the producer. So we're listening to the playback, and, and Marvin never heard us sing. All he knew we were related to the Goodmans. We wrote yeah. these songs. But he was a very gracious man. He said, Rusty, he said, why don't we just put this on the album 12 times? And, of course, that's heady stuff, you know, for yeah, yeah. a young writer. Well, Labriska spoke up and said, Mr. Norcross, I predict that in less than six months, you'll be recording uh, Joel and I. Mm-hmm. And he just smiled. He said, is that right? She said, yes. <laughs> well, I nearly fell out of my chair because I thought, wow, this guy had never heard us sing, harm, or whistle, you know. Yeah, yeah. So when we got out of the studio, I said, darling, why did you say that? She said, well, if I'd have thought about it, I probably wouldn't I have said it. I said I must have lost my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, in, le- yeah, <laughs> in less than six months, they had started Canaan Land Publishing Company. Mm-hmm. And they wanted us as writers. So Marvin called and said, we'll give you a, a recording contract if you will write for us. So yeah. we did. Yeah. And so in less than six months, we were back at RCA a Studio B with this wonderful team of musicians. So that was our first album. When you had the songwriting contract, were you under pressure to perform, pressure to write? Well, not necessarily. Just what we wrote you know, Marvin got okay. to publish it, and, of course, that always helps pay the bills and pay for the recording sessions. Yeah. Makes it more attractive to the record company. Yeah, yeah. As Kyla Rowland's children always told her, I can't wait till uh, Mama's royalty check comes. <laughs> um, I've written down some of my favorites, and uh, and you can tell me at what point they came and how they came along. And Labriska, uh have you contributed to the songwriting? I did, aspect? especially at first. I I did. Uh, the Eyes of Jesus mm-hmm. was my idea, and Joel took it and wrote it, and it was wonderful. I I was a part of several songs. I can't remember now. I wrote a song called uh, I'm Willing. Uh, Rusty recorded one of my songs. What was that? Uh, Life Evermore. Life Evermore. Uh, a minister came to our booth here at the convention last night, an older minister, and he was he was tearing up. And he said, I went through a real rough time, I think back in the 80s. And he said, I was in deep depression. Mm-hmm. And he he said, the song that brought me through was Labriska's song, I'm Willing. Yeah. So you never know. Well, Labriska's written some good songs. Walking in God's Sunshine, that was a pretty good song. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. recorded yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. The song that introduced me probably to gospel music, I I can't think of anything before this. And I was three or four, and I was walking around the house, and they tell me I could say all the books of the Bible, and I could probably count, you know, to ten or something, and I could sing, He's Still Working on Me. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the earliest uh, recollection of music. And I remember sitting, you know, the big floor speaker, and I would sit there, and I would get as close to the speaker as I could, and I guess Candy sang the lead. It was on That's a, right. it was on a double ward, I guess the top ten songs right. Of, right. of whatever year that was. I don't know, 79 or 83. 79 or 80. I wrote it 80. about 79, so it would, people became aware of it about that. And year. there was a skip. There was, there was a scratch, I guess, in the record, and about three quarters of the way through, maybe when you were just sort of doing the, the, the reprise or the, repeating the tagline, it would kind of skip. And so if I ever heard a correct version of the song, it sounded <laughs> off to me because I was so used that's to That's part of it. That belongs there. That's, right, that's right. good. So tell me how that song, which is probably one of the, you know, that's just going to live and live and live. How did that come about? Well, of course, you, if you ride the bus a lot, you see a lot of bumper stickers. Yeah. And I saw a lot. I saw a bumper sticker one day that said, be patient, 
God is not finished with me yet. So that kind of sparked an idea, and I began to think about it. And it was after that that I was in a deer stand. I'm a deer hunter, and you get to do a lot of thinking. And I've written a few songs in deer stands. And so that, that back then, that was about the only time you had alone. That's really. right. Yeah. Wife, three kids, and eight musicians, and a bus driver. <laughs> so, you know, you. Yeah. So anyway, I was on a deer stand, and it came back to me, and so I wrote it and came and uh, sang it. Well, me. you called me on the telephone from from there, from one of a uh, truck stop. Town, yeah. And uh, sang me that, and I knew when I heard it that it was a hit song. But I had to convince the record company. Bill Trailer was uh, head yeah. right then. I had to convince him to put that out as a single because it was so laid back. Right. And, right. It, and, and it was subtle. Yeah. But he didn't know that it just wore right. a groove right in your head. Bill's a yeah. dear friend. But he was he was looking for a fast barn burner, you know. Yeah, yeah. And we had one. And he said, okay, I'm going to put this working song out for six, six weeks. weeks. Yeah. It doesn't do anything. You know, we're going to rush this fast song out. Sure. And, of course, I'm not bragging, but it stayed number one for eight months. And it wasn't payola. Right, right. <laughs> uh, God just blessed. It's kind of like, uh, what's the Disney World song? There's, It's a small world after all. It gets stuck in your head. And right. It's, it's, that's, <laughs> right. that's a really good one to get stuck because of the lyrics. Thank I don't you. care how old you are or young you are, it, it applies. Well, thank you. I remember just because this song is so uh, unique to me. Was it a wood block? What was the little, I can't describe it, not a drum beat, but the little. Um, that's right. It, it, it was, was, it was a, a wood block. A wood, wood block. Uh, who produced that? Was that Larry Goss? No. Um, I'm trying to think of who produced that. Yeah. That uh, was um, Gary um, Gary Smith on piano. Okay. Yeah, Gary went on to be with uh, Loretta, I uh, know, uh, Dolly Parton and, okay. uh, and Barbara Mandrell. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, but he, that was him on the piano and partly his idea. You know, these sure. musicians are amazing. I mean, they just yeah. get there and they create something and... A song has a certain feel, and it calls for a certain feel. Right. And right. I so think Jerry Crutchfield might Crutchfield have, have done I, I think he produced mm-hmm. that. And we've I talked about Candy. She sang that song, right? Right. And so, what at what point did your um, what year did you have your kids? Uh, what year were they born? And and at one point during their life, did they express an interest, or did you drag them out of the road with you? <laughs> well, Joey was. We married in June of '57. Joey was born in August of 58, and then we had them about six months apart. <laughs> That's <laughs> a Actually, no, not, yeah, no, they were all a little at the same time, but, yeah. uh, but Joey came when we've been married 14 months, and then the others are about 14 months. Yeah. But they were months. interested, very interested in what we were doing and wanted to be a part of it. And they knew, uh, they knew the songs, they knew the music. Uh, Trent was taking bass mm-hmm. in, in school. And so as soon as the one bass player left, we said, you're it. And he nearly fainted. Oh, wow. But he knew the songs and he knew how to play. And, mm-hmm. ca- and, uh, when, uh, when our baritone singer left, we integrated Joey in there. And it's just when a, a space came open, 
sure. and they were ready to fill it. Mm-hmm. We put them in there. Well, it's a good, it's a good way to get to ride the bus. Otherwise, you have yeah. to stay home. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if riding the bus is a real good idea anyway. But uh, sometimes it is, and sometimes yeah. it isn't. And then uh, later on, when we needed a piano player, Trent was our bass player, mm-hmm. but he knew the arrangements, mm-hmm. and he knew what sound he wanted where. He was our, uh, you know, manager of our band. Mm-hmm. So we had a, several piano players come and stay and then leave. And so Trent said, you know, I'm tired of this breaking in new piano players, so I'm going to be our piano player. Yeah, yeah. So he sold his car and rode around with Joey for a few months and went out and bought a big grand piano and wow. learned to play the piano. So that was in it the fall. It was phone. downstairs right under our bed, and he played all night long. Oh, my. <laughs> but, hey, he became a great Uh, Any conflicts as a family on the road in close quarters like that? Very few. We've had other people ride our bus and say, you know, this is the most peaceful bus I've ever been on. Of course, we'd always start the trip with prayer because you never know what you're going to encounter along the way. We learned how to give each other their space. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to give people their space. I'd imagine, yeah. And respect what everybody does. Everybody has his own job to do, and you respect that and try not to infringe on it. Master of the Wind is another great Hemphill song. How did that come about? I was in uh, Montana, and uh, it had begun to snow, and we were leaving Great Falls, Mm -hmm. and I was going to be driving the bus, and some of our friends called and said, uh, have you closed this road? from here to a Billings, mm-hmm. two-lane highway, not much shoulder on the road, good highway, but just a two-lane. Canyons and, on each side. Oh, yeah, and they said, we, well, we've closed some highways, but that one's open. So we left, got out there about 30 or 40 miles, and that little gent- gentle Montana snow turned into a, a I mean, a howling ice storm, wind storm. It was treacherous. The highway glazed over. There was no good place to pull over, so I just slowed down, you know, 15 miles an hour, 20, mm-hmm. and uh, and I actually felt the bus slide a time or two. And so I'm praying, you know, yeah. I'm saying, God, please have your hand on the wheel of this bus because it's beyond me. I know God's the master of everything, but right then I needed the master of the wind. Yeah. And, I mean, that thought just dropped into my spirit, and it's like he said, I'm the master of the wind. I calm the storm on the Sea of Galilee, and I'm going to see you through. So the cor- the uh, storm kept blowing, but I settled down yeah, yeah, and yeah. began to tear up and just think about, you know, God's protection. He's seen us through lots of miles. And then a little bit I was writing, I know the master of the wind. Yeah. So by the time we rolled into Billings the next morning, I had that song finished. And so we've all seen our storms, sure. and life has its unexpected storms we enjoy singing that still you have a pretty good memory have a pretty good memory he has a wonderful memory yeah yeah i was going to ask if if you are ever in a place where you don't have a pen and paper or a tape recorder and a a, a thought or a hook or a melody comes to you and you can't write it down or document it anyway and you've got to wait a few hours is it hard to do you have to repeat it to yourself oh i have to repeat it to myself a lot yeah but I have just stopped at a red light and grabbed an envelope and just, Scribbled you know, I passed yeah. the Church of Christ Church in Nashville, well, Madison, Tennessee, 
one day, and they had a, a sign out on the marquee, prepare now. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Yeah. yeah. And so at the next red light, I had a pen and an envelope and scratching down it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark, yeah. and that became a number one. I reminded Joel the other day, though, when he was a lot younger, we were so busy building our house, traveling. It would come time to record and get start getting our material ready to record, and I'd follow him around with a pen and a pad and say, now, now give me the words to your songs. What do you have? And he'd be working on the house. He'd be doing, you know, hammering, whatever. Yeah. And he would quote me those songs, and I would write them down, and then I'd get our secretary to type them up for us. So he had them stored in his mind. Wow. Consider the lilies. They come straight from Scripture. So, mm, right. So where'd the melody come from for that? Uh, just out of my spirit, uh, Daniel, sometimes when you get a lyric, and I can get more words than I can melodies, mm-hmm. but uh, but the best song, I think, the best songs that I write, the melody comes with the lyric. Right. When it doesn't, then I try not to struggle with it. I give it to Labriska or Candy or one of our producers, you know, Larry Goss has done that for us, Jerry Crutchfield, different ones help with melodies because if you get too many melodies that are similar it gets the cookie cutter effect you know yeah. and you need that individuality with your right. songs so um but that was one that just the words and melody came together tell me uh, about your personal health issues and i know the depression came at some point uh, uh later in life and how has that affected your songwriting today yeah. Now on this side of it. Well, uh, in 1990, I had colon cancer and had some serious complications, unexpected complications, and went down to skin and bone after my surgery. Mm-hmm. My doctors couldn't explain it. I began to go to specialists, and they couldn't explain it. And so I guess I panicked. I probably didn't handle it well. I'd always been an up person, driven person, and now optimistic. Very optimistic. And for this period of time, I had to just eat certain things that Labriska cooked, steamed vegetables, broiled fish, purified water, mm-hmm. poached eggs, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I guess I got maybe a little too self-focused and, and began to just, I couldn't sleep. I didn't sleep for two weeks, mm-hmm. begun, begun to hallucinate and went into uh, a hospital, mental hospital. Stayed there for ten days, rough experience. And came out, and I could sleep because I was under the doctor's care and had heavy medication. But the unexpected thing out of that was the depression. When I got home, I was just so severely depressed. And and then I got real self-focused, and I thought, well, I, you know, we've all made mistakes, but I'm thinking I've, I've done something just real, real you bad. And I you I know. didn't know the term clinical depression. No. We didn't even know what was wrong with you. Do you remember right. we sure. read yeah. and read and found out that it was depression. Right. We didn't even know know about that. So I couldn't go get a haircut by myself. Labriska had to take me for two years, mm-hmm. and I couldn't write, record, sing, minister in any way. Couldn't talk on the phone, couldn't pay the light bill. I mean, that's how bad it was. I just could not function. And stared at the wall or stared at the ceiling, you know, lay on the couch all day. But um, a lot of people prayed for me. And, and in March of 92, I went another, into another psychiatric hospital 
went under the care of an older doctor, and he got me weaned off of some of that heavy medication, got me on some lighter stuff. Still, I was depressed throughout 92, and on November the 8th, 1992, one Sunday morning in church, our pastor called me up, and he said, Brother Hemphill, we were on the back. We only went on Sunday morning. I couldn't deal with people, couldn't face people. And he called me up and said, God spoke to me. He's going to heal you today. So they laid hands on me and prayed for me. And that's the last day of depression that I've ever had. And I got up the next day, and I said, LaBriska, it's not here. It's gone. I knew it was gone. It took her a little bit longer to realize it because, you know, she didn't know my inner feelings. But And we'd had some ups ups and downs with my emotions through that time period. And I saw what my depression was doing to Labriska because it was pulling her down. And we spent a lot of lonely times because everybody goes on with their lives and, you know, we're just there. But I was ready to live. And in a short time, I was uh, pastoring a church south of Nashville there for 13 months and back songwriting. And since then, Daniel, we've been over a big part of the world from, you know, South Africa, England, Ireland, Scotland. I he will is really say Egypt. he's different. He is different since yeah. then. Uh, I, he'll whistle around the house, and I look, I look at him, and I say, my other husband used to not ever whistle. <laughs> <laughs> well, suffering produces compassion. Yeah. There's no shortcut to compassion. If you see a compassionate person, They've suffered because it creates empathy. And I, so I have more compassion for hurting people. I have plenty of time for depressed people or people who are suicidal. I spend a good bit of time. It burns out a lot of ego. Yeah. It really does. It mm-hmm. makes you understand what's real important in life. Right. For people who maybe, you know, they may have the head knowledge of God still being in the healing business. And they, they may believe it in their head, but they kind of have doubts that he really does right. until you've experienced it. Like for you, I, sure. I imagine it would be really hard to doubt that, that he has that power. Oh, I know <laughs> that I know that Absolutely. he healed me. And, yeah. and I've been able to share that testimony on the Grand Ole Opry, on the televised portion. Mm-hmm. Bill Anderson interviewed me, and I got to tell it. Wow. Uh, Crook and Chase on the Crook and Chase show, Lori Ann, you yeah. know, asked me about it and, she was tearing up while I, I shared it because it it was a dark hour in our lives and an unexpected storm. But I've been totally healed and I have I have no problem sleeping. I tell them I can sleep driving the bus. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. <laughs> right. right. And I know, I'm on no medication. And it it's helped my writing as well. When you were diagnosed with the cancer and when you went through the depression, the beginning of the depression, what was your current status in gospel music did you just all of a sudden kind of come to a stopping point and what did the what did the industry think was going yeah on? Did, and did they know in early 1990 candy had resigned from our group and we had a meeting in february of 90 mm-hmm. we were going great guns candy had married about three years before had a two-year-old mm-hmm. daughter our granddaughter jasmine and so it was just going great and uh and joy and trent running their business, the bus leasing business from the road a lot of the time, had neither one started their families. So we had a meeting to talk about a new bus, new sound system, and the coming year of dates. And so Candy had a surprise for us. She said, you know, Kent's going to, going to evangelize, and he wants me and Jasmine with him. 
So that wound up the Hemp Hill family mm-hmm. at that point, early in 90. So Labriska and I just went to Harper, the booking agency, Harper agency, and they said, well, we've never booked an evangelistic group before, but if you that's what you want to do, we'll we'll, we'll book it. So Labriska and I then were just working as a duet with tracks. Mm-hmm. Up until that time, we'd had a full band, bus driver, and the whole thing. So we bought a new car, and we had soundtracks, and we were back on the road. So then in uh, October comes the colon cancer. Some of the, the my friends in gospel music did see me. I remember seeing Ron Henson one day at Sam's. Yeah. He said, Joel, you've got to make it, man. You've got to make it. He said, a lot of us are watching you. And for our sakes, you know, you just, you've got to make it. I saw, uh, Ed O'Neill one day at the mall. Mm-hmm. And of course, Labriska, actually now, she just kind of led me around like a child. I, I just couldn't deal with it. Yeah. I mean, uh, Daniel, if I needed to go to California today, I could get out here on a highway and hitchhike if I needed to. You know, right. that's just, I'm that kind of person. Right. I, you know, traveled all over a big part of the world. But at that point, if we went to a mall, I clung to Labriska. I was afraid I'd get lost and wouldn't I know the way. I told we were Velcroed together, <laughs> and I didn't like it. I, I was afraid I'd get lost and we couldn't get back home. I mean, that's that, that's a crazy thing, and it's like a spirit of fear had taken me over. I, everything, I had never been a fearful person. I'm an alligator hunter. Mm-hmm. Next week, I'm supposed to be in Louisiana <laughs> alligator hunting, and oh, I've killed wow. dozens, really. You jump on them like Steve. Well, no. No, he doesn't. He better not. <laughs> no, I don't do it like that. But anyway, I mean, I'm just not a fearful person. Yeah. But for that yeah. two-year period, I was. Tell me about your – well, actually, I was going to go back. I just thought of a song you guys did. I can't think of the title of it. Partners in Partners. Ocean. Yeah, that's right. Partners we sang that today. Did you really? Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a romantic, yeah. and he writes love songs to me every now and then. Yeah. So when he does, we put them on our CDs, and Partners was the first one, wasn't it, that I think you wrote it was, me? yeah. And then from there, we have – we have one on each one. But it, I think that's a wonderful song. I just thought of that when you were talking about that story. Yeah. Tell me about your relationship with Bill Gaither. And obviously, if this all took place, we're talking about during the early mid, early to mid-90s era, yeah. that's when his thing was getting started, too. And I know you guys were on those videos. I want to say this. He was in deep depression when that first video was, shown, was aired on mm-hmm. television. And we had gone to bed that evening and was watching television we're watching the 700 club i think is where it came on Mm -hmm. and and bill's first video came on and and it just bowled us over and we just laid there both of us and wept watching Mm -hmm. that and so i got a hold of bill and told him what i had no idea was going to do it again i'm not sure he even knew he was going to do it again but uh i just wrote him a note and told him how wonderful it was well, he decided to do another one, and he called to see if Joel and I could be on that. Well, he didn't know where Joel was as right. far as his battling all of this depression. He had no idea. And he called and wanted us on there, and I said, Bill, you may as well ask Joel to go to the moon. I said, because he can't do that. He's in deep depression. There is no way we can come do that. And so when he had the, did the next one, he called again. 
And by then, I Joel was healed. Was healed. And that, that was the landmark video, right. and I did. He's still working on me. Right. Just, just healed and walking on out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And they shared that. If you see that video, though, you can see the difference in him then and now because he he was healed, but he had to walk out of it. And yeah. and you can see it on him a little bit. Yeah. Bill's a very good friend. We we worked together on dates back in the seventies when it was the Gaithers and the Slaughters, and then they'd bring in another group. So we yeah. worked with them even in Canada. We'd been in their home, swam with them in their pool, yeah. ride in Bill's old convertible and yeah. and we talk on the phone yeah they're good often. friends we love them you've been through all those decades of gospel music and here we are now uh in the 21st century how what do you think of the state of today's gospel music and if you could if you could pull the strings and kind of choose the course of gospel music uh, what would you do differently or how would you how would you uh, direct that course Wow, that's a tall order, Daniel. It is. And I, I'm very hopeful about gospel music. I, I really believe there are some, some great young groups out there that, uh, you know, we heard some this morning at one of the, uh, the breakfasts and, um, and I was moved. I sat there and teared up and I was blessed and some good um, songs, good songs. You know, obviously we, we want better songs. I, you know, I like the deepest, not necessarily theologically, but I mean that move you the deepest. Sure. Because that's the difference in our music and secular music. Mm-hmm. Our music has a message of hope and, uh, it's, it's up and, you know, we know we've read the back of the book and we know that, you know, God He's going to come through and, and straighten this thing out. He is. He, sure. he, he, it was finished at Calvary. We're just walking it out. So, um, I, you know, I'd like to see us try to write better songs. And, uh, I spoke to the promoters this morning. I'm very sympathetic to what they do yeah. because they have a tough job. We don't always have the answer about putting the people in the seats. I really think that the, uh, the Gaither well, let's just call it a like a revival that happened in gospel music as far as uh, sure. everything picking up. Um, I believe that was ordained of God. You know, early on, Bill called me one day and he said, Joel, I didn't think of this. He said, I know that I know that it was, you know, an act of God. God did it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to God be the glory. Um you know, our group experienced a, a revival back in the 80s. We just readjusted our focus and that's what we always have to do we always need a course correction sure um you know i i don't know i don't certainly don't have all the answers but um i'm hopeful about gospel music and you know i've been a minister since i was 19 years old and i I, i'm so thankful for my walk with god i do try to find the will of god in my life and and as a minister help others See, you know, what his will might be from his word. But, um, I think God cares about gospel music. It's, it's good music. The message is there. That's what I like about Southern gospel music. You do not have to search for the message. It's just right out. I wonder out. who you're talking about. I wonder who they you're talking who about. Is. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And so let's just all try to do it better and, and, you know, and glorify God and exalt his son, Jesus Christ. Um, I I just think great things are going to happen. How can we keep in touch with what you're doing today and uh, your travel schedule and, uh, and 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 read more about you, find out more about you? 
Well, we have a website, thehemphills.com. We, um, I've written a book called Partners in Emotion that gives our background and mm-hmm. about us, but Joel has just finished a book also. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, what's it titled? My book is called To God Be the Glory. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to say this, but I know that I know. In 1986, the Lord spoke to me about this book, and he told me the day would come when I would write a book about his glory. And I could probably have written it all on one page at that time because what I knew about his glory, I was thinking about the Shekinah glory, or as the Jewish people say, the Shekinah glory, you know, that came in the tabernacle or temple. So I didn't struggle with it. He told me that he would reveal it to me and that I'd write a book about his glory. So through the years, I've told a few people, you know, someday I'm going to write a book about God's glory. And I did study it the best I could, but I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't see enough to write a book about. But it's all right. about God's glory, you know. Sure. So, um, but anyway, in November, the first part of November, I was stirred to write. And I write some articles. I write for the U.S. Gospel News every right. month. And I've written for a secular magazine, a horse magazine, and uh, monthly, and so I, I write some. But anyway, I started writing and would get up early, and Labriska saw how I was driven, so she said, Honey, I believe this must be that book the Lord talked to you about. Mm-hmm. I said, Well, I don't, I don't see the connection. It didn't seem to be going that way. Right, right. But about a week later, it made the tie-in. And yeah. when it did, man, I could have shouted. I just saw. I said, Well, this is about God's glory. And so, you know, it's it's a theological book. Labriska's book is awesome. It has 16 pages of pictures. It's 286 wow. pages, and it's uh, it's affected a lot of people. She sold thousands. She has lots of pictures in her book. My book's about God, and I didn't have a picture. Of him. <laughs> Obviously, of him. Yeah, yeah. But I tried to do a word picture of him because we need to know him better. You know, Jesus always pointed us to God the Father. Mm-hmm. He said, "The Father's greater than I." Father knows things I don't know. I don't know when I'm coming back. He called his Father the only true God. John 17:3. Jesus said, Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Mm-hmm. He told the woman at the well, the Father is seeking worshipers to worship him. The hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father. And I think Christianity, including myself, have largely forgotten God the Father. And so um, I, I wrote a book about God the Father. It has over a thousand scripture references, and I called it To God Be the Glory. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except by me. But we've stopped at the door a lot of times. We have stopped there, and the object is to get to God. And so we, that's what this book is about. Yeah. So, again, we can find out more about those books at thehemphills.com. Right. Yes. And you guys still live in Nashville? We live in Nashville. We just recently sold our home on Dickerson Road. We've lived there for 32 years. Uh-huh. It was a two-story house, and we got tired of the stairs. <laughs> the older you get, the less you like it was stairs. too big for us. <laughs> the children are gone. We sold it to a Christian school. They made wow. a Christian school out of it. And we, uh, we're out in the country, and we have chickens and dogs and cows and a donkey and we're country folks. And, and you had a farm in Louisiana, Yeah, right? we did. Uh-huh. Yeah. Was that West, West Monroe? Uh, uh, yes. Uh-huh. West Monroe. Well, it's so good to catch up with you. Let's do this again. Thank okay, you, Daniel. Daniel. Thank you Bless for asking. You. We enjoyed it. Thanks so much.